1: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
2: Welcome to Vet Story. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. This podcast is powered by Radio.com, the newest free app for on-demand listening. From radio stations nationwide to thousands of podcasts. And it features a podcast that I'm proud to be part of that'll be coming out later in June. And it's called To War and Back. It's about three combat veterans and their journey from the battlefield to back home. It's something I really think you're going to love, and I'll give you a glimpse of it right now. We'll bring you to the front lines.
1: There is no greater feeling than that of knowing that you're going outbound to, you know, either protect the people that can't protect themselves or that you're going out to support our Marines or the boots on the ground.
0: The people
2: who serve in the military, it's a dangerous business. For my experience in Sauter City, there was a hell of a lot more getting shot at than there was shooting back. We were just slinging lead, man, and rockets and tanks, and the boys were just crushing anyone that came within arms' reach. I mean, they were literally that close.
1: And in the moment, right before the helicopter crashed, you know, people ask me all the time, like, "Oh, what'd you do? Did you pray?" I almost went right back into like Marine mode, and then we hit the ground.
2: We'll hear what it was like when they came home.
1: My dad came to me, and uh, with tears in his eyes, he said, the enemy couldn't kill you, and now you're going to do it for him.
2: That suicide ideation, I'm convinced that 90% of it was the drugs.
1: There's a lot of families of loved ones who never made it home looking at me. Well, she made it home. My kid didn't make it home, or my husband or my dad didn't make it home. Mm. And that sat with me.
0: I'm sitting here today because... The soldiers that fought alongside of us, they, they took care of me and each other better than anything else I'd ever known. That's the definition of what brotherhood
2: is. This is the story of Kirstie Ennis, Scott Husing, and Boone Cutler. To War and Back, coming June 10th. Subscribe for free now on radio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. This time on Vet Story.
3: And then finally at 1.30 in the afternoon, I received a call and the thing that I hear is, Mrs. Bowen, this is Colonel. And once I heard that, I didn't hear anything else.
4: So when we got off the boat, I told the guys to go underwater as far as they could because the machine gun bullets were just like hail on the water and we could hear them on the ramp.
0: My husband and I had the close to talk. He assured me that he was a good pilot, he was well trained, he was well equipped, and anything that happened in that aircraft, who's going to get it on deck? I knew something horrible had happened. It's the Memorial Day sale at Mattress Firm. Hey y'all, Scotty McCree here. Just want to say happy Memorial Day. Happy
1: Memorial Day. What's up y'all? Walker Hayes here. Happy Memorial
0: Day. Essentially has the same impact on those as if we were to wish a New York firefighter a good 9-11.
2: Alright, so it's Memorial Day weekend and everybody's excited for the long weekend, ready to get the grills fired up and the beers put on ice. But today we're going to talk with a few guests that will help us feel and appreciate the true meaning of Memorial Day. Now we'll start with a few guests which are going to be honored at America's Night of Remembrance, which is PBS's National Memorial Day concert live from the West Lawn of the U.S. Capitol right here in Washington, D.C. Their stories help define what Memorial Day is all about. We'll meet Ursula Palmer, a Gold Star Widow, who will share with us her heartfelt story of losing her husband, who died serving our country in Afghanistan. And we'll hear the remarkable story of 98-year-old Ray Lambert, a highly decorated combat medic who landed on Omaha Beach as part of the first wave of D-Day. He witnessed sacrifices made for our freedom that are the essence of Memorial Day. And finally, we'll hear from Joanne Steen, the author of We Regret to Inform You, a survival guide for Gold Star parents and those who support them. Her writing helps address the hardest issues that confront Gold Star families and offer comfort for those coping with military grief. But more than a conversation that speaks just to the military community, she's gonna to speak to all of us and tell us what every single one of us can do to properly recognize the importance of this weekend. Now that's probably the best place to start, because it often seems that the importance of this weekend—I mean, the general meaning of it—has been completely lost. In fact, this is what Memorial Day weekend sounds like. It's the Memorial Day Celathon at Valley High Toyota. It's the Memorial Day sale at Mattress Firm. Get to JCPenney and celebrate
0: savings at our Memorial Day sale. Save up to 35% with major appliance hot deals. Get to Cole's
1: Memorial Day weekend sale. It's Macy's Memorial Day sale with Supervise on furniture and rugs.
2: It's Memorial Day, and it's the best time to buy at East Tennessee Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. But it's not just retail. I mean, take major country music icons who make a living paying homage to America and the small-town life of men and women who frequently serve God and country. I mean, on radio stations across the country, even they're sounding pretty tone-deaf. God bless you. Happy Memorial Day. What's up, y'all? It's Mitchell Timpenny, wishing you all a happy Memorial Day. Hey, y'all. Scott McCreary here. Just want to say happy Memorial Day. What's up, y'all?
1: Walker Hayes here. Happy Memorial Day.
0: Every show that we play, we salute
1: y'all. Every day that we go about our lives, we're thankful for y'all. Thank you for uh, living out the ultimate sacrifice. Thank you very much to all the men and women in our armed forces all around the world. What's up, everybody? This
2: is Lady Lady Antebellum. And
1: we just want to say thank you so much for your sacrifice.
2: So what is the right way to say it? Wishing you fond memories of this weekend? Have a grateful day? Well, we'll find some answers to that a little bit later in the podcast. But let's start with my conversation with Ursula Palmer, whose story will captivate everyone at America's Night of Remembrance during PBS's National Memorial Day concert. All right, welcome to Vet Story, Ursula. A pleasure to have you today.
3: Phil, thank you so much for having me. It's truly an honor for me to be here.
2: Now, I know that the world will see your story. Certainly America will see your story as it is broadcast Memorial Day weekend on PBS. And you are one of the guests of honor. But I wanted to kind of, you know, not wait. And I wanted to get you on the phone. I wanted to share some time with you and hear a little bit more about your story, uh, which first, if I can say, will be portrayed by a wonderful actress. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, she's the gal from uh, Rosewood. Jaina Lee Ortiz. Yes, Jaina Lee Ortiz. Um, I've. Fell in love with her watching Rosewood and then watching, uh, what is it, the firefighter show she's on now? Um, oh,
3: Station 19.
2: Station 19. And uh, before we get into the whole story, uh, let's rewind now and share with me the start of the love story.
3: Well, uh, I came to the United States to, uh, first of all, learn English. Well, uh, what's one of the main reasons? Um, once I took my classes, I was, I had the opportunity to do a master's. And as part of my master's degree, I needed to teach English, uh, I'm sorry, teach Spanish to undergraduate at uh, uh, the college that I was doing my master's. So the first class that I ever had to teach, um, I was sitting there, uh, first day, very scary, you know, first time, first of all, barely spoke English. Uh, I was in front of, I don't know, 20, 20 some 18 year old students and uh, I was just petrified, you know, pretending to be the professor.
0: Right. And right. all
3: this, you know, and all of a sudden, this older guy arrives to my class, and I looked at him, and he was the typical guy that I liked, you know, just his facial features, just everything, his height, and uh, it kind of put me at ease. And it's like, huh, okay, someone older, someone you know my age,
0: right.
3: <laughs> and uh, very handsome. <laughs> So, anyways, uh, the first class started and I, I started to speak in Spanish pretty much the, the entire class because it was the third level and people should know some some Spanish. Um, that was it. The class ended. I, you know, I remember the guy, but that that was it. The second class came and then he didn't show up, and I was like, oh, okay. That same afternoon, another of the teachers, the teacher that was uh, giving the level right underneath mine, it came to me and said, look, I had this kid, this, this gentleman coming to my class. He said he was in your class and that the teacher was muy caliente, <laughs> but that the class <laughs> was very difficult.
2: And that was the beginning of their relationship. He would eventually take another class, and they would go from student-teacher to a romantic story where Colin, the student, developed a crush on Ursula, his teacher, and let her know about it during class. And then the next
3: semester, I had to teach the same level. And the first thing I thought is, let's see if this guy shows up in my class. And lo and behold, first day of class, who's the first one walking into my class, well, it was Colin. He sat on the first row, and from that day on, he started uh, always participating. He would always bring his homework. He, he was just great.
2: Um, <laughs> I bet. I bet he sat right up in front and was like, hola, yes. bonita. Ah, yes. Tango, <laughs> my homework. Aquí, right here, right here, aquí. Yes. Call on me. Well, he, did mo-
3: <laughs> well, he did more than that. He did more than that. In the tests, he would find the way to flirt. I have an example. One of the questions was, uh, you're a psychic. Please tell me my future. You know, they needed to practice the future tense. Um, So he would uh, write, well, yeah, of course, everything in Spanish. Uh, You are not going to marry the boyfriend that you have right now. Mm."
0: (laughs) You are going to,
3: yeah, a man in your class, uh, you know, uh, will be a better husband. Uh, anyway
2: (laughs) so as you can hear they went from student and teacher to husband and wife and then their classroom love story became the story of a military family
3: he was in the National Guard so we had the typical uh, you know uh, drill once uh, a month and then the annual training two weeks away for during the summer so I didn't have to be or we didn't have to be moving around Uh, however after September 11, he was called a few times to, to serve. Uh, they were all local, the first the first two. One, he was uh, at the airport, and he was there for about six months. And then he had a one-year tour at Andrews Air Force Base. Uh, but everything was local. Uh, however, the, the one thing that he truly loved was the military and his service. Uh, he always said, this is the one thing I'm good at. Uh, and uh, he said, look, I-, I need to do my part, but not just here stateside. I-, I just I need to do my part.
2: And like so many war fighters before him, Ursula's husband quickly answered the call and deployed to Afghanistan.
3: Uh, fortunately, communications, even though they weren't as good as they are now, they were starting to improve. So we were able to he was very good at calling me. They had cell phones. At uh, that time, they would have to buy little cards there with points, and that's what would allow them to call and He always called, and I would call him too uh, internet, even though it was super slow, uh, we would be able to do some webcam communications. I had wonderful, wonderful employers that actually allowed me to have a webcam in my office uh, because of the time difference mm-hmm. when i was we were able to talk, it was when I was working. And my, my boss said, go ahead, do it. No, don't worry. If you have the opportunity to talk to him, do it. Um, so we were able to do a lot of the webcam communication. Sometimes I was just working there, and he was laying down, getting ready to, to just rest, and we would just see each other. Um, and, um, and when he would go out in missions, even if he had to uh, ask for a satellite phone, he would call me at least once. So communications were were always good. Um, Now, when he had to go in this last mission, uh, there's this superstition uh, among the troops, and you probably know it better than anyone, that when it gets close to the time to come home, you're not even allowed to do those last-minute missions. Uh, However, this one, uh, a lot of people who were new were going, and Colin knew the terrain very well. He didn't want to, you know, let his team go uh, with, you know, with someone who didn't know the terrain so well. So he said, I'll go. And he said, look, I'm going to charge my phone. I'm going to call you every day, a minute, just so you know I'm OK. And, um, and, um, you know, we'll talk at least a minute every day.
2: And that would be a promise he would keep. For those last few days, he would chat with her at least once a day until the day that the phone didn't ring.
3: So I said, well, his phone finally, you know, died. Uh, maybe there is an area where there's no cover. You just start giving yourself all kinds of reassurement that nothing is wrong.
2: Sure, that,
3: sure. You know, just, you know, it's been like, I don't know how many days. Of course, the phone wasn't going to work. He doesn't have a place to charge it. Um, and then January 2nd comes. and you. I have to go back to work, and I still he doesn't call. And it just—it just didn't seem right. Uh, and I just—I kept thinking, okay, I'm just going to work. I'm going to keep myself occupied. And then finally, at 1.30 in the afternoon, I received a call, and the thing that I hear is, um, "Mrs. Bowen, this is Colonel." And once I heard that, I didn't hear anything else. I knew something horrible
2: had happened. And at that moment, Ursula took the first step on a journey that so many Gold Star widows and so many Gold Star families take. Not a journey they would care to take, but one they're forced to when the men and women of our military make the ultimate sacrifice. Now, she would luckily be by his bedside at Walter Reed when he took his final step and got recruited to God's Army. But it's how Gold Star families deal with the death of their loved one that is something we can all draw inspiration from.
3: So I understood the importance of having a strong father figure in your life. And at that point, I realized, oh, no, my daughter is not going to have that. And she was too little to truly understand what was going on.
2: Thank God, but I did. Yeah,
3: yeah, but I did. So I think that that really, truly, everything that I've suffered—it's been I've suffered her, I've suffered for her. If that makes sense. The first thing that I truly found was Snowball Express. Um, That's a wonderful trip.
2: Yeah, everybody gets on the airplane and goes to Disney, I believe, right?
3: Yeah. Well, uh, the first, then, 2008, it was in California. Oh, okay. And I really didn't know how much, what it truly was. You know, I know it was a trip, so I say, look, it's good. We can get away. We can just meet with others that are going through the same. Um, but once we got there, what truly changed my life was that everything was directed, of course, to the children. And for them to have fun, to see that there's, there, there's, there's more than just the sadness that, yeah, your father or mother may have died, but we're here for you. And there's still reasons, and it is okay to smile again. It's okay to have fun. Uh, here, there, there's a life, and we will
2: help you get through it.
3: For me, that was a revelation. You know, it's like, oh my God, I am allowed to smile again.
2: And that's exactly what Ursula would do, over and over again, creating smile after smile and moment after moment with her and her daughter as they went forward and joined the Gold Star family community. She would eventually find solace and empowerment by founding a new chapter of the Gold Star Wives, a virtual chapter for post-9-11 widows and widowers, and then she would go on to help wounded warriors and their families thrive and find their own life, their own smiles, and their own inspiration. Through a very interesting and enjoyable sport.
3: I learned about this organization, Links to Freedom. And they use the game of golf as a rehabilitation aid for wounded warriors, disabled veterans, their so families, sport. caregivers, and also all Star <clears throat> families. So I first uh, went to their program as a participant, as a goal Star. So Ray wife, and I chatted briefly um, about his service history and, and joined the Army in
2: 1940. Who loved golf.
3: Since he was two years old, and they allow him to come when he was about three, four years old. So Ray and I went and, back and um, forth a little you know, bit about his family, personal history. We, we when he joined the military, joining the army in just, 1940, uh, you know, had a, a, a great time. Medic. And so it happened that I became more and more involved, and I became their program manager. And you have no idea how fulfilling it is when you hear these. Service members, these wounded warriors, these disabled veterans, when they tell you that golf saved their lives, uh, now we're not talking just about physical injuries. We're talking about PTSD, TBI, and when you hear that, you know what you do behind the scenes, maybe behind a computer, trying to put a program together, has saved. Someone's life, someone who has fought for a country, and paid a very high price, and they said, "You saved my life." You have no idea how meaningful that is.
2: You've gone from needing a hand to lending a hand with Gold Star Advocacy, and then now helping folks on the golf course and experience new thrills in life to replace, you know, the, uh, you know, the sadness that they may have felt before. Um, you're just casting awesome. all kinds of light out there, Ursula. It is amazing. Oh,
3: thank you. I, I, I don't know. I just, uh, I'm so thankful that I've been able to find a way to show my daughter that no matter what life throws at you, you are able to look for ways to succeed.
2: Now, her story captures the meaning of this important moment, but I recently was able to share a moment with a true American hero. And that's not a term I use lightly. I mean, if you ask most veterans, very few would say they like to be called a hero. But for the men who braved the shores of Omaha Beach on D-Day, their service is truly heroic. Ray Lambert's story will also be shared during the PBS National Memorial Day concert. His story will be brought to life by Academy Award winning Sam Elliott. They will share Ray Lambert's account of being part of the first wave onto shore, where Lambert quickly established a treatment area, saving soldiers, dragging them to safety, and comforting the dying as best he could. My conversation with Ray was truly an honor. Hi, good morning, Mr. Lambert. Phil Briggs, connectingvets.com again. How are you? I'm fine wonderful great to hear you today and wow. i appreciate you and uh just you know what since uh since time is of the essence and your celebrity is needed everywhere <laughs> chat with well
4: I, I don't think I'm I'm uh, myself as a hero or celebrity
2: i'm just another <laughs> veteran well you're a damn fine storyteller so <laughs> well, <laughs> now, talk to me about the day um obviously Right after Pearl Harbor, we start maneuvering and we start getting our troops in order and we start building the force. Um, What did they tell you the day before or the 24 hours up to the Normandy invasion?
4: So we were not uh, surprised very much that we were going to get uh, into a real dogfight on the day that we made the invasion. Uh, Of France, when we went in, we went in on the Higgins boats, of course, and we had uh, 27 men uh, on most Higgins boats, some had 30, but on the boat I was on, there was 27 of us, seven medics. I was with the 2nd Battalion Headquarters Medical Group and some infantry soldiers on our boat also my company aid men were assigned to their companies and they went in with the infantry companies on, on their boats when we got in uh, i had been through the invasions enough to know that we were going to face machine gun fire i'd seen a on the boat that we loaded on in uh, england coming over they had mock-up tables on the ship so we knew we some some idea of where the gun and things would be that the Germans had. So when we got off the boat, I told the guys to go underwater as far as they could because the machine gun bullets were just like hail on the water, and we could hear them on the ramp before the ramp went down. And that hopefully would save some of the lives from getting machine gun bullets right off. Well, that uh, sounded good, and uh, it, till we just found out that the Germans had barbed wire mines under the water. And many of our guys, when I went off, I got shot through the right elbow with something. I, it wasn't a, I would say shot, maybe it was fragmentation, but anyway, something went through my right elbow. Shattered the bone there just a little bit. And I went on off and I went in water <clears throat> over my head and there was a guy hung up on the barbed wire. And first guy that I tried to save was that guy, which I did. I got him out of the, off the barbed wire and then got him on through until he could get where he could walk in the water. And so that continued. Uh, I was my arm was uh, bleeding some, but that didn't bother me too much. And so I kept uh, getting guys from drowning. Our big, big concern was the infantry guys that had their rifles. We wanted to get them up front so they could organize their companies and get off the beach and uh, advance up the hill. There was a machine gun right in sight of us. Uh, two, two different ones. And they were firing right, right at us and killing guys there. So I kept uh, trying to get, uh, uh, saving guys and getting, some were drowning, some were wounded. Very difficult to try to treat the wounds because it, everything was wet. The water was, uh, was waste coming in, so wet sand. It was just a terrible place to try to do, but we did the best we could and we saved many lives. But there was no place between us and the machine guns uh, to get behind or uh, no, no way at all you could uh, avoid that. To, as I was looking around, there was a large, uh, what we thought was a rock at the time, and it turned out to be where the Germans had dumped some uh, obviously more concrete than they needed on the beach, just into the water's edge. And so I instructed uh, some of my guys to, let's get the wounded in behind that rock and keep them from getting killed after they were wounded. And there was no way to set up an aid station at that time. So we were getting as many as we could behind that rock. And that was the only place on the beach that was there any possibility of uh, getting a guy to save his life. We lost 4,000 guys that day uh, and that, that gives you an idea of how the firepower was. When you're in the service, the thing that's most important to you, of course, is to try to stay alive yourself, but to care of your, of your brother soldiers.
2: Our final guest for this Memorial Day podcast is Joanne Steen. She's the author of We Regret to Inform You, a survival guide for Gold Star parents and those who support them. Joanne, a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's really phenomenal that you have crafted this book. And I I just want you to give me kind of like the real quick 30,000-foot view. Tell me what kind of things we can find in this book.
0: Okay. The book is written specifically for parents because I've come to understand, um, and a lot of gold star parents enlighten me about this, is that there really is no solid resource for gold star parents on how to survive military loss. And the uh, impetus for this was I was giving a speech to a gold star community, and a mom came up to me afterwards and said, when are you going to write a book for us? She said, I, I read your book for widows, but parents need a book too. And that was the catalyst to get me started on this.
2: Now, in the book, you talk about some common misconceptions for military loss. Um, mm-hmm. sh- sh- share with me what those could be.
0: Oh, gosh. I was really surprised, um, especially in a post-9-11 world, when I was doing the publications publisher search, that I came across three things that I heard time and again. Uh, The first thing I heard was that, well, military personnel only die in war. What do we need a book for? I would counter with, well, 23,000 personnel have died since 9-11, and 7,000 died in wars, and the other 16,000 died in in the line of duty and other operations and other means. So I was surprised that the public didn't understand that. The second thing that really floored me was when I would get the I would get the question of, well, why do you need a book for? Aren't you prepared for this? You know, your loved one was in the military. Well, guess what, sports fans, that's not the case. And I I was a military spouse, I was a Navy pilot spouse, and while you you're always aware that that could happen, there's a probability that can happen. There's a greater chance that they're going to come home safely, and my husband and I had the, quote, unquote the talk. He assured me that he was a good pilot, he was well-trained, he was well-equipped, and anything that happened in that aircraft, who's going to get it on deck? Unfortunately, that wasn't the case, and he ended up on on the wrong side of that fine line between life and death. The last thing I heard time again was, was well, we don't need this. The military takes care of their own. Well, they do, and they take care of them very well through the – through the notification, through the you know, dignified return of remains, funeral, through the memorial, and through the end of the casualty process, but you know it takes it takes more than a year for the reality of a mil- of a sudden death and particularly a military death to sink in. So come to your point, you know you're just beginning to realize that this this is all true, and uh, you know and. You're alone in a civilian community that doesn't understand the ramifications of the military loss.
2: Now, Joanne and I spoke at great length about all the different things within her book. The complicating factors surrounding military loss that are not usually found in civilian losses. Why the behavioral health community has limited guidance for working with military loss. But what I found really interesting was when we got into talking about how to support families of the fallen on Memorial Day, even if you don't personally know one. And we started down this conversational road after we talked about sporting events, baseball games and football games with the national anthem, and how that can actually upset somebody that has recently lost somebody, or maybe not even recently lost someone, but just lost someone in general. And it was from there she gave some of the most powerful advice on how we can all really celebrate and hold true the meaning of Memorial Day.
0: so hard to get away from those things because they're infused in our society and they're also a part of your life. It's really difficult.
2: You know, I never thought about that, but you're so mm. right. Uh, I have a thing that I think about my buddy Ronnie with uh, that, What's that I've learned is, is is just something that I honor him by doing. Uh, whenever I hear the rock band The Offspring, yeah. um, I always crank it up. You know, winter, summer, it doesn't matter when it is. I'll turn it up if I'm in my truck and roll my window down for a second and just yell and and, and just have a good old time. Because I associate that with him because I wanted to associate it with him. But but you're so right. America wraps itself in stars and bars and flags all the time, whether it's a mattress sale or a car sale. And, (laughs) you know, everything is everything's patriotic, and it it comes from a good place, but I never it thought does. about even the beginning of a baseball game being something that could just make them feel worse or remind them of something, yeah. you know, on a bad day that they just, you know, don't want to think about. Now, what are some practical suggestions? This is kind of like a question I didn't anticipate asking, but, mm-hmm. I, you know, as I think about it... I. I know how I cope and I deal with Ronnie and I honor him and yeah. I think about loud rock and roll because that's exactly the last place Absolutely. we went together. We went to a yeah. concert together. So so that's what I do. Um, also, whenever I run across a can of cold Coors Light, I, I think of him because I never would have drank this stuff. I used to tease him about it but if I see it, I'm always like, Ronnie, there you are. What is something someone could do at their backyard barbecue? I don't expect the world okay. to stop having get-togethers. I don't expect the world to not have family come over right. but if right. you're a civilian out there that's never really been Touched by this, right. Is there something that they could do, or what do you suggest?
0: Heck yeah, you know, and um, you know there are remembrance ceremonies, and and those are those are hard. You know, those are very sad events. So maybe that's not your thing. But you know, there's a lot of runs for the fallen that take place around here, and you know, around across the country. So you can maybe run for the fallen and run in memory of a fallen service member. And if running's not your thing, you can go out and support them. You know, runners always love it when they have support on the sidelines. That's one thing. Let's say you're not a runner and you can't do the spectator and you have kids. Well, then find a a parade in the area. There's a ton of Memorial Day parades that last an hour, maybe an hour and a half. And if you have kids, you could take your kids to them and give them a really good lesson on what patriotism looks like. Let's say you're not, that's not your thing either, and you have that backyard get-together. What I'm going to do and what I've done in the past is somewhere after the, uh, after the burgers, you know, I'm going to raise a toast and say, let's remember the fallen, and anyone here who has lost someone, say their name. Because oh, wow. as long as you say, you know, there's a, there's a graphic artist over in England, um, Beck Batsky, he said, people die twice. He said they die the first time when they stop breathing, and they die a second time when no one when their names are no longer spoken. Oh, wow, so you know over years. You know that it's changed to let's let's toast the fall and yeah I remember so and so and as time goes on and especially especially the time I spent with military personnel especially the time you know you may tell you may tell some dumb story about what the, what the person did you know and you'll have a laugh about them and for those few moments you're remembering them you know and and you don't have to focus on the fact on their death or how they died you know you can focus on the fact that they lived. But just to remember the fallen means that, you know, you're acknowledging they lived, and it's a way to, and a group, say, hey, I appreciate this, I appreciate, you know, I appreciate that there are those that were willing to raise their hand, you know, and and promise to support and defend America, which in today's world, you know, there's a lot of bad actors wanting to do us great harm, so that's a deliberate choice, as you well know.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. I told you I was a former instructor, so yeah, I on a roll. You <laughs> know, I did, and I'm so glad I got you wound up on that, only because that is a—you know what? I've done the toast in my backyard. I don't yeah. think I've ever paused to say, say their name, because that yeah, is—that's you know? the most powerful ending of that statement right there, because it opens up. A further conversation for people in the backyard to just talk amongst each other and they can turn to the person that said yeah. someone's name and say, yeah. Hey, tell me about George, tell me about Ray, tell me about yeah. you know whoever it was that they said. Um, I, yeah. gosh, I love that again. We regret to inform you a survival guide for Gold Star parents and those who support them. Uh, just pleasure getting to know you, Joanne Steen. Thank, Thank you.
0: you. Let's talk again. We will all right. Take care now and enjoy the long weekend and remember the fallen.
2: Appreciate you. Now, I want to thank all of our guests on today's podcast. Most sincerely, I want to thank Mr. Ray Lambert for sharing his story of D-Day with us. And Gold Star Widow Ursula Palmer for sharing her heartfelt story with us as well. You can see both of their stories Sunday night for the 30th anniversary broadcast of America's Night of Remembrance. It's the PBS National Memorial Day concert, and it'll be live from the West Lawn of the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C., And that'll be broadcast on PBS stations nationwide, May 26th, from 8 to 9.30 p.m. In addition to their great stories, there's an all-star lineup for the show, which includes General Colin Powell, Grammy Award winner and R&B legend Miss Patti LaBelle, Gavin DeGraw, Allison Krauss, Amber Riley, and the National Symphony Orchestra. There will also be performances by the U.S. Army Herald Trumpets, the U.S. Army Chorus, and Army Voices the U.S. Navy Band, the Sea Chanters, and the U.S. Air Force Singing Sergeants, as well as many more. You can find out all the details at pbs.org. And again, special thanks go out to Joanne Steen, the author of We Regret to Inform You, a survival guide for Gold Star parents and those who support them. I truly appreciated not only her time and sharing with us, you know, some misconceptions about military loss and what we can do to support our Gold Star families, but I truly appreciated her words on what we could do to properly celebrate this weekend. And while I'm never at a loss for words at a party or a barbecue or a holiday get-together, if you find yourself unable to come up with the right words to say, I suggest you either bow your head and take a quiet moment or hold that favorite beverage of yours high to the sky and say a special prayer. I dedicate this entire podcast to my good buddy, U.S. Army Specialist Ronnie Wildrick. The Corps' light will be cold for you this weekend, brother, and I'll be cranking up the offspring in your honor. Enjoy your Memorial Day weekend, and I'll talk to you again on the next episode of Vet Story.